0: Good morning and happy Saturday. Welcome to the Daily Bible Wrap-Up, as you can see in the, let's see where it is, there it is, lower corner. A little ad there just in case that you were doing this and you didn't realize what you were listening to. I'm just playing with some of the settings here. I might keep it, or I might not. For those of you that are just listening and not watching, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. We start out today, we are in Proverbs 15, 1 through 10. I've got a quote from one of the verses there. Only a fool despises parents' discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. You know, we've talked about the importance of discipline before. Yesterday, we learned that King David's lack of discipline of Adonijah may have led to Adonijah having a feeling of entitlement, saying, oh, well, I deserve the kingdom. People want me. I deserve it. It doesn't matter what my parent, the current king, says. Now, I've learned, and you may have as well, too, that the more that you are disciplined from external resources, external sources, I should say, like parents or god or rules the society because that's a big part of discipline we are conditioned as we grow up we learn what's acceptable in society and which what is not sometimes also by laws anyway the more that you have those external disciplines you 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 foster and grow your internal ability to self-discipline yourself, which is really, I think the source of growth. And, and an interesting thing there is as you grow your internal ability to, for self-discipline, then you have more ability to resist temptation, which as we were talking about yesterday, we can't eliminate temptation that's the original sin and then the inherited sin. And I talked a little bit about the, the walking by the spirit. And, and that discipline helps us to remember and to walk by the spirit. And again, I get back to what I was saying yesterday, that part of why I do this every morning is part of my discipline. My obedience because if I don't do it, I can almost immediately start to feel the effects. Now, to also tie in from yesterday the, 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 about the discipline, and the last verse here sums it up, I think, well, quote, whoever abandons the right path will be severely disciplined. Whoever hates correction will die. So two steps here. If you abandon the right path, expect that you're going to be disciplined. And if you don't like that, then that means that you're not going to respond correctly to discipline. You're not going to repent and you'll die. You'll be destroyed. It's pretty clear there that the whole progression and why it's important, the discipline, the walking by the spirit, all of that. In New Testament, we are in Acts 11, verse 19. Believers were scattered and preaching wherever they went, mainly to Jews, but sometimes to Gentiles. This is still while they're all being persecuted. But the persecution cannot rein in what has now become a much larger growing movement. Now, they mainly preach to Jews, but sometimes to Gentiles. We're introduced during this passage to Barnabas, who, with Saul, preached in Antioch for over a year. And he was here where the believers were first referred to as Christians. Now, one believer relayed a prediction by the Spirit that a great famine was going to come to the Roman Empire. And so Saul and Barnabas were entrusted to give, rather to take gifts of relief to the elders in Jerusalem so that they can figure out, I guess, how to disperse them. Think about that for a minute—the enormity of this. They are being persecuted by the Romans, and yet they are concerned about ensuring that everyone—at least that's what it would seem like—is going to survive the famine. We're we're called to do this today, regardless of uh, faith of of whom is affected by a natural disaster for example be it locally or or globally we're called to to give of time or give of resources to help our brothers and sisters that are our brothers and sisters in humanity who are affected so that all of that is not just a feel-good thing by the church it's biblical it's this is one example right here continuing in acts 12 Now, the King Herod Agrippa, he's persecuting Christians. Of course, we talked about that. Now, we had the Herod talk beforehand. How many Herods are there? Do you remember? You know, I forgot. I thought it was five, but I had to go to our buddy, Chat GPT, who reminded me that there are actually six noted. This is one of the six. He is uh, the great uh, grandson or rather the grandson of Herod the Great. Well, anyway, Peter's arrested as part of this whole persecution thing. And an angel of the Lord frees him from prison the night before his trial, which Peter at first thought he was dreaming. And even when he left the gates of the city, he's still it's only then that he realized, oh, wait, this is all real. So he goes and tells one of the believers what happened and tells them, you got to tell other believers what happened to me. This is This is a miracle. I've been freed. And and Peter goes on his way as well, too. Now, Herod Agrippa is not terribly pleased about the fact that Peter has escaped. I would imagine that Herod Agrippa thought that Peter was pretty much a big thorn in his side and thought that maybe he could finally find a way to eliminate that issue. Maybe by eliminating Peter, who at this point in time, I'm guessing, is probably the most prominent of the leaders of the leadership. If I remember my Catholic faith correctly, he would be considered the first Pope. So by getting rid of Peter, then maybe you could subdue the movement. Well, can't do that right now, but he did have the guards responsible for watching Peter executed. Old Testament, we're in 1 Kings 2, verse 13. And speaking of Adonijah, we're not done with his story yet either. He asks Bathsheba to ask King Solomon for the permission to to marry Abishag. I guess this is like a consolation prize for losing the kingdom, because as he says, all of Israel wanted him to be king, but I guess the Lord wanted you, Solomon, now, it's an interesting note here that when Bathsheba comes in, remember Bathsheba is Solomon's mother. When she comes in, Solomon bows before her. Solomon is like king of Israel and Judah. He's consolidating the kingdom, of course, but he's, he's, he's new, the new king and and the most powerful person probably in, in the known world at this point in time at least known to the people of Israel. And yet he bows to her. And I think the lesson here is that we can never be so powerful and so full of ourselves that we stop respecting our parents. Remember, they're the ones that provided us with our first discipline to shape how we are today, right? Right. Anyway, though, Solomon was not pleased with Ananias' request and I guess seemed insulted. I'm not really catching all of this, but this whole passage is about Solomon trying to consolidate his power in the kingdom. And maybe he felt threatened somehow or way, shape or form. Well, the easiest way to eliminate that is to eliminate the person. So he orders Ananias put to death. And remember, this is his, if if I'm not mistaken, this would be his half-brother. I don't think I'm mistaken, but sometimes I get a little confused with all the names. Now, Joab flees to the tabernacle tent, presumably for sanctuary, because he was complacent in, in Ananias' rebellion. But Solomon had him killed at the altar. Okay, now he's eliminated a potential second problem. Job's been around for a while, remember? So this is sort of like a anticlimactic end to his life here, it seems like. Now, the king also killed Shimei, and I can't remember his transgression, but by doing so, apparently, Solomon did solidify his rule over all the kingdom. That's how the chapter ends. We go into 1 Kings 3. Solomon made a treaty with Egypt and married one of Pharaoh's daughters. Now, to me, this it's stated matter-of-factly, but this seems like it's a kind of against the law of Moses. Not supposed to marry outside of the people. Maybe a foretelling of the kingdom's eventual fall, but not nearly quite yet. There was a lot of stuff that needs to go on. And, and since Solomon generally obeyed the Lord, the Lord offered him whatever he wanted. Now, Solomon could have asked for riches, wealth, fame, all the things that we as material people crave, but he didn't. He asked for wisdom, as you probably know that, because that's what he's known for. He asked for wisdom to govern the people correctly. I would like to think that all of our leaders do something similar. They should in my opinion, but that is my opinion. Well, the Lord was pleased with the fact that Solomon was more concerned, apparently, with the people as opposed to his own selfish needs, so he granted Solomon the wisdom, but also said, you are going to become rich and famous. This is a interesting end to our reading for today. We're going to pick this up again tomorrow. Uh, We're, we're definitely very much deep. I I, I like both of where we're at with the old and the new Testament, because a lot is happening here. I'm especially getting back to the new Testament about, I never really paid too much of attention to the details about the beginnings of the church, but you just, maybe for the first time me reading acts, I'm really getting the feeling you probably could, sense it the way that i've been talking it's like i'm really getting the feeling of just how this thing this movement really really took off back then that's it for today my wish for you today my prayer for you today is that you will walk in the spirit have a great day